Thanks for listening to the Sundays at 3 podcast. This week, we're studying from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, the story of the sinful woman that anoints Jesus' feet. Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you're all having a great start to the year, and I'm sure you're all busy making your New Year's resolutions. Uh, When I think about New Year's and and, and making resolutions, I, I typically think about forgetting the past and getting a fresh start. And and the passage that we're going to read about today is about just that, a woman who encounters Jesus and finds a fresh start. So if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 7, verse 36, we're going to read all the way to verse 50 today. It says this, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you go in peace. So let's set the scene here for a moment. Uh, Jesus is invited to dinner uh, by Simon the Pharisee, and and, and the dinner invitation is a little bit curious. Remember, the Pharisees were part of the religious elite that, that made up all of these extra rules to sort of help them keep God's laws, and and they didn't get along with Jesus so well. Why? Because he challenged some of these man-made rules and because he claimed to be the Messiah. And the Pharisees uh, were not buying what Jesus was selling, so to speak. So it's it, it's not clear why Simon invited Jesus to his home for dinner. Was it because he he um, legitimately wanted to learn more about Jesus or, or, or learn from him? Or was it that he wanted to, to trick Jesus into saying something that could be used against him? Again, we, we, we really just don't know. But, but this dinner itself probably looked more like a banquet at the time. And, and Jesus would have been reclining at the table with his head nearest the table and his feet then stretched out behind him and away from it. And, 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 and also at a special banquet like this, the public would have been invited to attend and to stand behind those that are dining and kind of listen in. And, and so into this atmosphere walks this woman, this sinful woman who stands behind Jesus. And she's described in the text as a woman who had lived a sinful life. 
Now, we don't know exactly what that means. Scripture doesn't tell us. But, but given this description and given the Pharisees' uh, reaction to her, this was probably a polite way of saying that, that this woman was, was, was known throughout town uh, to be living a promiscuous life. So, so keep in mind here that her very attendance at this dinner would have been viewed as making the entire gathering unclean. And as uh, a commentator, Joel Green, describes it, uh, she comes into the scene like an alien with a communicable disease. Uh, so, so not exactly a VIP treatment here. And, and then she begins weeping and, and washing Jesus's feet with her tears, wiping them with her hair. And, and to give you some idea here, this, this woman is, by all accounts, ugly crying, okay? According to another commentator, Daryl Bach, the description used to describe this woman's tears is the same description that would have been used to describe a rain shower. In the manner in which she is kissing Jesus, uh, kissing his feet, it, it's, it's described in the same manner as the way in which the father kissed the prodigal son when he was welcomed back. So you get a sense of that intensity of emotion here. Um, it, it, it's also of interest that the woman brings with her an alabaster jar of perfume that she's pouring on Jesus's feet. And this perfume would have been expensive. And in fact, it may have cost up to one year's wages to give you some idea. And finally, it's it's worth noting that the woman's act of letting her hair down would have been viewed as an immodest act for a woman. And so the Pharisee sees all of this and, and he's, he's concerned. He may have been... Uh, troubled simply by the presence of this sinner at the gathering, uh, or, or the fact that she was touching Jesus, thereby making him unclean, or he may even have believed that, that she was acting in a seductive manner, uh, given her reputation and, and the immodesty of letting her hair down and kissing Jesus's feet. And so as the Pharisee is seeing this, he starts to have these thoughts, doubting that Jesus is who, who, who he claims to be or that he's a prophet. And at that point, Jesus steps in and and drops some theological science on this Pharisee. And and that's what we want to explore in a little bit more detail today, that that teaching of Jesus. So let me step back for a moment first, though, and talk about New Year's. Uh, I did not realize when I married my wife that I had married one of those people. And what I mean by that is that I didn't realize that I had married one of those people uh, that begin each New Year by making a set of goals. See, for the first 24 years of my life before I was married, I had been perfectly content to roam aimlessly through each year without a set of goals tying me down. But my wife explained to me uh, that is totally unacceptable, uh, so now I make goals. Uh, Now each year I dutifully make a list of goals to start the year, uh, typically that I will read the Bible in a year or that I'll develop a set of six-pack abs, uh, not in any particular order, Uh, And then at the end of each year, I dutifully check my list of goals and confirm that I have accomplished neither. Uh, So so candidly, though, I've started to kind of enjoy the goal-making process. Um, And now we're actually going one step further. And and we're praying that God would sort of download a a, a word for the year, that he would kind of give us a word for the year to keep in focus. And as we were chatting recently about what that word would be for 2022, and as I was reading this passage of scripture, the word that came to my mind was perspective. See, this story teaches us about perspective and more specifically about kingdom perspective. See, this woman 
the sinful woman had perspective. She understood who Christ was and what he had done for her. The Pharisee, not so much. So that's what I want to talk about today. Three quick points about what this story teaches us about having the proper perspective. First, when we have perspective and a kingdom perspective, we start to understand the depth of God's love and mercy for us. So let's start with the parable of the moneylender. Sometimes we become so focused on the response of the two debtors in this parable that it's easy to overlook the action of the moneylender. So in this parable, we've got two debtors, one who owed roughly two months' wages and the other who owed nearly two years' wages. And though the amounts were different here, the two debtors were ultimately in the same position. That is, they owed this moneylender money and they had no way to pay it back. There was nothing they could do to address the shortfall. But thankfully for them, they didn't have to because the moneylender of his own initiative, of his own volition, chose to cancel the debt, to forgive him. It's the moneylender in this parable that does the heavy lifting. We need to remember that. It's the moneylender that did all the work here. So put this in today's context. Uh, imagine that you have a substantial home mortgage, most of us do, or, or a car loan or a student loan, and, and, and that you are in a position where you have no way to pay it. And imagine that tomorrow you get a call from Wells Fargo, and they say that they've decided that, that, that you no longer have to pay that debt, that it is wiped out. And imagine the relief, the freedom that you would feel from that weight being lifted, a debt that you cannot pay being wiped off the books. That's the relief. That's the freedom that the woman realizes here. She understands in this moment that she, that we serve a God who is willing to cancel each of our spiritual debts without demanding any repayment. That he's offered to wipe the slate clean of all that we've done and wish we hadn't, whether years ago, whether just a few minutes ago. And all that he asks is that we receive his forgiveness. But the Pharisee, see, Simon the Pharisee didn't get it. And frankly, sometimes I don't get it. In fact, when, when I first read this story, I misunderstood it. When I first read the story, I thought that Jesus' forgiveness was the result of the sinful woman's great love for him. In other words, that he was responding to her actions. In, uh, in one translation, one NIV translation, it says, or Jesus says, uh, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. And so I read that and thought, oh, well, well her sins have been forgiven because she loved much. But see, I had it reversed, and so did the Pharisee here. It's not that the woman's love, that her actions, what she does, it's not that those things prompt Jesus' forgiveness here, but rather that his forgiveness prompts her love. And, and, and all the commentaries seem to agree on this point, that, that the woman, when she encounters Jesus in this moment, that she was already in a state of forgiveness that she had already received this revelation of forgiveness, maybe in some prior encounter with Jesus, maybe in some prior encounter with his teaching, but that this encounter, this outpouring of love and gratitude was a product of that conversion. And that's consistent, right, with the parable of the moneylender, in which it's the moneylender's forgiveness that compels the subsequent gratitude displayed by the respective debtors. 
And see, that's a problem for the Pharisee. See, he thought, Simon thought he could do it on his own. He thought that he could earn God's favor by living right. He, he was not, after all, living like this despicable, sinful woman. And so he didn't think he needed forgiveness. He didn't think he needed the forgiveness that Jesus claimed to be offering. And so the Pharisee didn't love much because he wasn't forgiven much. And he wasn't forgiven much because he didn't think he needed much forgiveness. It's reminiscent of the passage back in Luke chapter 5 that we read, where Jesus says, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, I don't know this for sure. We can confirm with Dr. Charlie, uh, but I have a feeling it's probably pretty hard to treat a patient who doesn't think that they're sick. And the Pharisees, the righteous, the so-called righteous, didn't think that they were sick. They thought they could do things on their own. And so they missed the gift that was right in front of them because they didn't know they needed it. And so I think of the upcoming year and I think about us making a bunch of, of great goals. I think about us planning for some really great accomplishments. We're going to do a lot of stuff. But let's keep this in perspective, that none of those things, none of what we do has any significance apart from God. That he is not impressed by what we do, but the heart with which we do it. I was reading this week a book called Jesus Behaving Badly. It's a great book by Professor Mark Strauss. And I read this passage, and it really, it really encapsulated some of, this, uh, some of what we're talking about today. Uh, he writes this, God is not impressed with a PhD. He's not impressed with extraordinary athletic ability or scientific knowledge or the entrepreneurial skills to make billions of dollars. He's not impressed by great oratory skills or the charms of a great politician able to wow the masses. What impresses him, what impresses God, is a humble heart of dependence, a childlike faith in him. What impresses God instead is a humble heart of dependence, a childlike faith in him. The woman in the story had that kingdom perspective. She understood that it wasn't about her earning anything, but rather that she depended on God for everything. And out of her humble pursuit of God, she found new life. She finds purpose. She finds forgiveness. She finds salvation. She finds peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She finds a new identity, a clean slate, freedom. This woman begins the passage as a sinful woman that everyone in town knows about. And by the end, she is a sinful woman no more. She's no longer defined by what she's done or by how other people view her, but by her relationship with her Savior. Perspective, kingdom perspective, allows us to understand what God has done for us. And point number two, it allows us to respond accordingly. A kingdom perspective inspires me to love God lavishly. One of the most striking parts of this story to me is the vivid picture that Luke paints of how the sinful woman loved Jesus extravagantly. 
consider um, first Jesus's rebuke of the Pharisee, right? He points out that the Pharisee did not give him water to wash his feet, did not greet him with a kiss, did not give him oil for his head. Now, scholars debate whether any of those things were actually required of a host back then, or whether they were something special, whether they were, were a special courtesy. Either way, by comparison, what this woman did, how she treated Jesus, was extraordinary. It far exceeded the minimum that was required. She did not simply give Jesus water for his feet. She washed them with her tears. She did not simply give Jesus a kiss on the cheek. She, she showered his feet with kisses. She did not simply anoint Jesus' head with inexpensive oil. She poured expensive perfume on his feet. She went above and beyond. She gave him her best. She honored God with all that she had, whether it was her material wealth or her humble worship. Imagine the humiliation of walking into that room where you know that they know everything you've done. They know your reputation, where your very presence is viewed as defiling that gathering. But for this woman, she was willing to set aside every scintilla of pride for an encounter, for a moment with Christ. That's how badly she wanted to be in his presence. That's how badly she wanted to shower him with her love and her gratitude. When I read about her extravagant response to Christ, I can't help ask myself, how am I showing my extravagant love for God? Am I showing extravagant love for God? Am I giving lavishly of my time, of my resources, of my worship, of myself? Or am I simply treating my relationship with God with indifference, like the Pharisee? Is my relationship with God something to which I barely give a second thought? To love God lavishly, it, it doesn't mean we have to break down into tears and, and weep every time we, we come before the Lord, uh, or that we need to do more stuff. It doesn't mean we have to do more churchy things or spend more time in prayer or sell all of our possessions. Go back to our example before about the bank canceling your mortgage. The bank calls you up and cancels your mortgage. How do you respond? You probably send them a thank you note. You probably tell all your friends about how great this bank is and what they did. And you probably give them all of your banking business. Move all of your day-to-day your -day accounts over to them. Why? Because you'd be showing them your gratitude with your loyalty. So, so how is it that we show our gratitude, our love to God? We show love to God first by, by placing our trust in him, by accepting the forgiveness that he freely offers. We show our love to God by drawing near to him like this woman did. We spend time with him through praise, through worship, through prayer. We show love to God by loving others, by helping his children that are in need. And we show love to God by seeking to live in a humble attitude of surrender to him, by making him the centerpiece of our lives, by becoming living sacrifices, as Paul describes it, by opening up every compartment of our life and inviting God in to do with it what he will. We give up control. So what does that look like for each of us in, in 2022? 
As we make plans for the new year, how will we love God extravagantly in 2022? Not because we have to, not because we're earning something, but because we want to humbly honor our God. The sinful woman understood who she was with and the significance of what he had done for her, and her life reflected that gratitude. How will ours? How will we prioritize our relationship with Christ this year? How will we seek to know him more? What areas of our life will we open up and lay at his feet? And what sort of restoration, what sort of freedom, what sort of new life will he breathe into those areas like he did for this woman? And finally, when we have a a kingdom perspective, we start to understand and appreciate the inclusiveness of the kingdom of God. See, this story really underscores to me the willingness of God to enter into relationship with all who seek him. In this story, on the one hand, we see Christ welcome into his presence a notorious sinner. And on the other hand, we find him accepting an invitation to dinner at the home of a Pharisee, a man who was at best skeptical of him and at worst was plotting against him. And even when the Pharisee expresses doubt in the story about Jesus and who he was, Jesus doesn't give up. He shows that he he cares about this man. He, He calls him out by name. Simon, I have something to tell you. And Jesus goes on to teach him about the kingdom principles of forgiveness and love. So this passage is is yet another reminder to me that that we as a church and individually should make sure we're never ostracizing or minimizing those who are different than us, who have different beliefs than us, who disagree with us, but rather that we, we show the love of Christ to all whom we encounter, just as Jesus did here. When we have that kingdom perspective, it allows us to appreciate the inclusiveness of the kingdom of God. So to wrap up, as we begin this 2022, let's pray for perspective and a kingdom perspective that we would embrace our fresh start to this year and that we would truly live out our gratitude to the one who made it all possible. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this Sundays at 3 podcast, and don't forget to get connected with us by sending an email to sundays at 3pm at gmail.com. That's sundays, A-T, numeral 3, P-M, at gmail.com. Thank you.